Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fugue for Thought, the podcast. I'm Alan, and that is Mahler, the fourth symphony. Uh, we're actually going to be talking about his third symphony a little bit later, but um, that is the opening music. It's um, royalty-free. It's a recording from the European Archive, found on museopen.org. Uh, M-U-S-Open.org. Uh, so here we are. Hello. Welcome. We are in iTunes, as well as on Podbean, and all of my links, as well as Victor's, will be in the description of this episode. Uh, but for today, we're going to go back to the second part of our first episode, a uh, conversation with uh, harpist Victor about really all sorts of things. This is, um, we recorded a, a giant long conversation where we chatted about all sorts of things, uh, mostly opera uh, but later in the conversation, we talked a little bit more about symphonic music. And so uh, in this half, we talk a little bit more about that. We kind of continue our conversation uh, from the previous episode. That's episode one. You can go back and listen to that, where we talked about what a Brahms opera might be like. And like the first episode, this conversation was really almost kind of like a phone call. So uh, we're going to pick up right where the first episode left off. Um, and I asked a question about Mahler. What about a Mahler opera? You know, he was a conductor of... Yeah, a very good of, one. Of, of great opera. I mean, a famous, yeah, yeah, his, yeah. he was kind of, maybe in his lifetime, more famous as a conductor than a, than a, uh, a composer. It's true. And he was actually uh, one of the um, really great fighters for the right of, uh, of, of Wagner's operas. He was considered one of the best conductors for Wagner's operas. And only the anti-Semitism of the Wagner family and uh, around Cosima, for example, uh, stopped him from actually becoming the greatest conductor possibly that Bayreuth ever had. Right? So... Uh, <sighs> If you consider that altogether, uh, it's it's really a pity that he hasn't written an opera. Maybe it's also good. Who knows what really would have happened after that? <laughs> what would come of it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because he had, he did, um, he had things like Das Lied and then the Eighth, and um, what was his what was his cantata? The the really early one. What was that? Das Klagende Lied. All right, yeah. Which was, I, I, to some, even like to some lovers of Mahler, I, I've heard people kind of express that it's like an immature kind of thing. I'm not familiar with it. This with the immaturity, that's, that's a very, very easy um, opinion to have when you know one at his full bloom and you know what he's capable of. Sure, in his later you, work. Exactly. And then you compare uh, like the beginnings. Uh, who has started as a genius? Maybe Mozart. Uh, so uh, to, to be quite honest, that's, you cannot judge the early. That, yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. Because every step led to what came on later. And you can find for sure uh, in some early works, genius 
ideas which you can't possibly find later, for example, because you give up at one point, I mean, as a composer also, uh, sort of. <laughs> I can <Sure>. say you <laughs> give up on some ideas at some point, which leads to, uh, because you, you've decided that another way is the one to go with, but that doesn't mean that uh, the ways you had before were wrong or our, are now proved to be wrong because you decided otherwise. It's just a natural development, like the life itself. And sure. uh, that, that's the thing. It, it's easy to say, oh yeah, that's not worth it, but it's definitely not that thing. Well, it's actually interesting because I, I listened, uh, I just listened to, uh, Mahler's second today, um, Claudio Bado's uh, recording in Lucerne, yeah, with the basically his orchestra uh, yeah, yeah. that he that he made. It's and it's a phenomenal recording. I mean, it's, Mahler too is is kind of one of my favorite pieces. Um, but you know, he has in in three of his works, he has you know multiple choruses and the soloists and the whole the whole thing. He and and maybe at the time they didn't you know they, they didn't get such amazing reception but you know he knew his stuff yeah writing yeah. on such a large scale and it would be interesting to see um kind of what would what would come of that you know he he chose texts uh or he i want to say he wrote some of it himself for the second symphony, but then, you know, the text that he chose like for the eighth symphony, two very different, you know, one in Latin, one in German. To, to set, you know, what an opera of his would be like. This, this brings me to another question. I listened to to, um, to Mahler II today and then to the Berlioz Symphony Fantastique. So yeah. a question, a question for you that I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe depending on how, uh, how well this goes over that I'll ask all of my guests is. So um, a lot of like chefs, cook people who are in the kind of the cooking, the cuisine industry have the discussion about the, the, the last supper, a final meal. You know, if you're, you're, on, you're on death row, you get your one final meal, what would your last meal be? If, if there was a last piece, a last thing that you would see or hear, what would you like that to be? Music. Wow. <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't, know if that's, I don't know if that's a little morbid, but, but kind of as a, as a, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, it could say so much about me. I, that's <laughs> why I'm really thinking hard now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh... Well, the thing is that, uh, anyway, I'm having music in my head like 25 hours a day. So sure. uh, I can definitely choose anything. But the thing is, if I want to really hear or see something live uh, for the last time, oh God, what could that be? There's so much beautiful music to choose from. That's hard. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, what have you done? Because I could, I could say, okay, I, I choose a work which takes twelve hours, and then I extend yeah, right. my life, lifespan for the twelve hours, or I can just choose Bumble, the ride of the bumblebee and be done in thirty seconds. Uh, I'm not sure. I think for me, it would, yeah. be, it would be Mahler three. Mahler three, really? And, yeah, and, and one of the reasons is because it's so long. <laughs> that that is, yeah, one of the reasons. Definitely. But, I have I have kind of this an emotional connection to number two, yeah. But but the kind of the journey of the third, and this what is it an hour and a half or more of kind of this growth from the first movement all the way to kind of just this glory of the final yeah. movement in the end. That that I think that would be that would be mine. 
Yeah. Well, and it's the Resurrection Symphony. So basically, if you are not it's dead afterwards. Too. Yeah, a, that would be <laughs> Well, I, I've played Mala 3 with uh, Meta, which was probably one of the best moments in the past years of uh, even of the Staatskapelle, I must say, because that would have to uh, be. I am all goosebumps right now. It was, <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. So I, I can't tell you. And we... There was um, the the I think it's the third movement with the post horn solo. Yes. So with uh, yeah right. Gosh, uh, our solo trumpet player he played. It was you could only cry for, out of beauty. It was fantastic. And then the fourth movement, which is so oh, you can't even find words to describe. I mean, I could really understand for anyone who says the fifth. <laughs> I, I love, um, oh, go ahead. You you answer the question first, and then we'll talk more about meta. But yes, that that's my uh, that's my. Um, really think oh gosh what could i choose from there are even so many pieces i didn't yet hear and this would be an opportunity to say i want to hear that gosh um there was like the first idea that came to my mind i must honestly say and uh you maybe you can try to explain what why it is so because i don't understand but uh, it was um, shostakovich the last of the preludes and fugues the number 24, which is, I don't know, this uh, captured me so much with the first time I, I, I heard it. I, yeah, I couldn't escape definitely to go on with that idea, but it's, it's a music which like really uh, that has a comment on an entire lifespan, I have the feeling. It's so full of, of all the emotions. So I think I could be very happy to hear that last time before I die. That would be a good thing. But I'm not <laughs> sure if, that's, if that is really the choice I have to do because I hope that it's still a little bit more time. Well, I hope, that, I hope that neither of us ever have to make that decision. I just thought it was an interesting question to ask. <laughs> we'll take a, a quick break at this point to say that I was mortified just for a split second at this point in the conversation that I was not recording. Uh, the software, everything I was using looked like I was only recording my half of the conversation and not Victor's. We had talked about Mahler and you know opera and symphonies and all the rest of it. And I thought, if it didn't catch all of this in the conversation. Uh, so my... My heart sank for a quick little bit, but everything was okay. So let's get back to the conversation. Actually, something just the other day, well, the other day being yesterday, uh, I have a coworker who who is all into. Um, he's a DJ and tech, you know, techno music and remixes and all of that kind of stuff. And he said, "I'm I'm looking to remix a, a modern, an electronic something with a, a classical work." And he said, "As as I guess someone would who knows." you know, was not familiar with classical music. He said, I'm thinking Beethoven or Chopin. And I said, well, I would probably suggest Beethoven because all of the, the, um, the tempos and things with Chopin would make that kind of mixing very difficult. Um, yeah. but, but then we talked about Chopin and I, I shared with him the, the fourth ballade, yeah. which, which, and you mentioned kind of the, the experience, the emotions of a lifetime. I think that that little 10, 12 minute piece I say little, I mean, it's, it's incredibly challenging for what kind of contains in a very compact, you know, Mahler three is an hour and a half or a hundred minutes long. The Chopin has kind of all of that contained kind of in itself. But speaking of, yeah. speaking of 
Ruben Metes Mahler, I have I have very much enjoyed um, some of his recordings. Maybe he's not as well known as Abado or Bernstein or, or some of them for Mahler, but his his second, his fourth, I, I love what he's done with with everything I've heard of his Mahler. That must have been mm-hmm. incredible. And I must say, um, my orchestra is is like any orchestra, basically, it's quite judgmental. So they <laughs> are, yeah, they are very, um, they know exactly what, what something should sound like because they've played it like 20 times. Right. So um, considering that, they are also in the best position to judge whether something is, is good or not. And um, composers who, sorry, not composers, um, conductors who, are not able to um, to present themselves in a way that gives the orchestra the the, um, the impression that he really has everything in control. He is charge of everything, and he has full idea. Uh, they would make him feel so. Uh, someone like Nueta is exactly the person the orchestra is like. Uh, hoping for basically because willing to trust kind of yeah maybe. absolutely he's he's not only father figure he's he's everything he's a mentor in the moment he appears on on, on stage i remember uh, the first rehearsal and um we had uh, sitting in, in the brass section there were only very very young faces uh, <laughs> We had our new solo uh, trombone player who, even though oh, I think... Mother he, three, that's a big deal. I can you imagine. He's like, I think, 25 or 26 or something My around goodness. that. Uh, yeah, and he, he was already a solo uh, trombone player in uh, the Hamburg Phil. And wow. uh, he just uh, came to us. And then there was the academist on uh, a Japanese uh, girl on the, on the second position. Uh, and for example, our solo trumpet player, he's, he's also very, very young. And uh, he also looks young. And then, then there was, again, on the second position, there was an academist. So I had four young faces giving you the impression that it must be youth orchestra or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then, because I remember he was looking through the orchestra, like taking his time, having this display of, of what's 140 musicians in front of him, and then looking and then realizing the brass section. <laughs> and he was like, oh, and, and, and who plays the solo trumpet? <laughs> uh, for, right. for Mahler three, yeah. And the solo, tri- oh, uh, okay, I see. All right. Well, then let's start. Let's go. It was, it was so cute. I can't tell you. It was fantastic. Well, from um, what I, I remember hearing that Mahler, in performing the third, he had, a, he had his soloist that he would bring with him just to do that enormous solo in the, in the first movement. I, that would be intimidating, I, w- I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the uh, solo of, of the trombone, definitely. I mean, uh, uh, he nailed it. Uh, he was playing it so fantastic in every rehearsal. We were just in complete awe. And uh, even Meta, after hearing that once, he was already like, I, I had this, this lo- he had this look on his face, like, I want this guy. I want him. <laughs> you know? uh, same thing also like with the post which actually was in our case was a separate uh, trumpet player. So the, the first the solo trumpet would uh, sit in the, on, on the scene the whole time and would play the first trumpet. And then there was the post only for that. So he would only oh, play right. in the third movement, which I mean, 
for everything, uh, nerves and uh, so in preparation, you need someone to do it like this completely separate to be in his room to prepare himself to then go behind the scene. You don't even see him, right? And just jump so, in. And exactly. And then only play that to his best. And that's what actually helped our colleague to, to do this great job he, he did there. But every instrument has kind of... I mean, the, this whole symphony is is cr so crazy difficult. It's like absolutely... Yeah, it's, a, it's a big piece. Absolutely, absolutely. We had... Um, it was performed, was it last year? I think it was last year here with the Taipei Symphony did it here. Okay. And it was phenomenal. But but even from them with a with an incredible performance that they... You know, they, they, you could tell that they got a little tired towards the end. I mean, it's 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 a hundred, hundred something minutes of, of serious yeah. music. Um, only the first movement takes almost 50 minutes. Well, so yeah. <laughs> it's huge. And, the, and I think, is it that one or is it is the third that calls for Mahler actually called for a five-minute break between part one and two? Was it the third? It could be the third because I remember in my score that it was written erste Abteilung, zweite Abteilung, so like first part and second part. And the first right. part was the first movement only. And the second part contained all the other Everything else. five <laughs> movements. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because the harp doesn't have too much to play. And mostly it's really, really hard to hear it because mm -hmm. uh, the orchestra is that's huge. You, mean, you need four harps to make the harp sound. In that thing. But <laughs> there's one movement which seems so easy, and that's the fourth, but is insanely difficult. It's, oh God, if I remember, this slow tempo and uh, the, the little movements any conductor would do because you can't conduct it like, I don't know, uh, a storm. It has to be like very tiny, very precise movements uh, as it's so slow and so, oh gosh, so emotional and... Sure. The the big problem with that part is that first and harp, first and second harp are playing together, just one note in the middle of the bar. <laughs> so uh, to make that be perfectly together, I mean, me as a second harp, I'm the one in charge of doing that. The first harp could play anything I have to follow, right? <laughs> right. I can't tell you how much I <laughs> I sweat <laughs> during that movement. Um, also because you, you, in the same time, you know, that's that's the art of music. To make right. something difficult sound so Seem easy. easy. Absolutely. And this is like the, the epitome of that idea, this fourth movement, because really uh, you would disrupt the, even the own feeling if you are too tense to, uh, while, while trying to be uh, together with the first harp, right? So you... You try to kind of force yourself to calm down, you know, which isn't working really. But that's that's like a piece like this. If you compare this to, for example, any Strauss, because uh, Richard Strauss has done crazy hard parts, like sure. absolutely unplayable hard parts, <laughs> uh, which which not not. For I mean, for for any reason, they would be asked in uh, the like orchestra auditions when you want to get a position. There's always sure. a strings. It's definitely there. The thing is, um, he he did it technically difficult. He did it musically difficult. He uh, wrote things which are hard on the limit of anything, being being resistance, being uh, speed, being whatever. But this fourth movement of Mahler, which is just <laughs> one so note, 
it's just this one note. It's so much more difficult, so much more, uh, more. Uh, I mean, you also have to be like one with the entire orchestra. It's not enough to be one with your colleague, which you could be. Sure. It's and you know this this thing also. You have to feel the same. You have to breathe the same. You have everything to be the same, and to have this, um, you know, the similarities and the scale is actually what makes it so difficult. I think. Interesting. See, that's that's something that that um, I mean, me personally, but I think maybe maybe even other other colleagues in the orchestra might not, you know, consider. Um, later in. Uh, next month, the beginning of next month, in a few weeks, um, the there we're performing Mahler six here that I'm going to see, wow. and I, I remember I think it's the sixth at some point where Mahler calls for in the score it says you know what two harps or four harps and then at some points just harps, um, yeah, where he he tends to like to have two or three or four or six of or him, how of many folks doing yeah however many you have um, doing stuff and it's kind of at those you know, critical moments, like I think the very beginning of the final movement um, of the sixth, where you have this really exposed kind of line to get right. And then maybe, you know, maybe rests for 50 or 60 bars or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's, um, that's Mahler writing, actually. <laughs> I, I had to, um, for an audition, I had to prepare, um, what was it? Uh, Adagetto from Mahler's fifth, is it right? Sure. Uh, yes, yeah, probably. So uh, there is like this uh, beginning mostly of the harp, which just comes in and uh, engulfs everyone with with the sound, and it's beautifully made. But then again, you play and you have an, another thirty bars break. Like you, I mean, you know what? Uh, somewhat, there, there is another difference between Mahler and the Mahler scores when you consider like from from the view of a harpist. And, uh, and Strauss. Strauss used the harp even in parts where you could hardly hear. Uh, but you would definitely know if the harp isn't playing when you have something to compare with, because uh, even in the moments where you can't hear the harp clearly, it's filling up the, uh, the, the entire orchestra sound, right. which some, I, I think it, it just emulates the, uh, all the other sounds and make, makes them more harm, harmonic a little bit. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely. Because the harp just, uh, the, the, the frequencies which uh, come out of the harp, they more or less fit to any other instrument. So sure. it kind of melts everything together. Uh, huh. Why, when you have the Mahler works, you have only this really... Usually they are quite exposed. Yeah, everyone moments. else, everyone else stops, and then <laughs> basically, yeah. And then there's harp, and then again there's no harp for another one hour. Uh, you know, this is—it's uh, just for, from my point of view, it's just such a pity. <laughs> so, so just kind of different challenges. But since, so then, like you said, with the the post horn in, in Mahler three, what's it like when? Yeah, you're you kind of you're sitting at attention for half an hour and then you have this one thing to do. That's got to be um, nerve wracking. Well, that's the question. What's, what is worse to wait to know that you have to enter or to play the whole time and then suddenly to be there? Because as a harpist, we have both sides. Sure. Um, we, we usually have, um, I, I don't know, even though I couldn't even answer the question when, if, where I feel more com or how I feel more comfortable, uh, whether to 
just jump in and play and have my possibility to prepare myself outside. The thing is that as a harpist, and for usually we have these issues in the opera, uh, that in the, any operas, that there's like a huge solo at some point mm-hmm. uh, and you have nothing to play before and after. It might be that uh, any other instrument, for example, in that situation could warm up uh, behind the scene somewhere and and then jump in exactly we can't (laughs) possibly do that when we are entering the pit the harp is probably out of tune our hands are cold everyone is already played dead but we are coming fresh in and we have no idea how we would sound so uh on the other side you could also have things like uh, strauss you have to call him out again the salome for example yep. uh, you play quite a lot and then there comes uh, salome's dance which is <laughs> i mean it's insane it's insane to say the least and uh, luckily you are already warm at that point but you could also be tired be tired sure you know which isn't helping also so i don't know I don't know which is better. <laughs> Interesting. Well, this is this is all stuff, you know, is is um from from my standpoint as as someone who kind of I I listen to music and then I I pretend to write about it and you know from a from a listener and kind of concertgoer's perspective, but it's so interesting to hear um you know from from the other the other side uh your end of things you know, what goes into it all? We, we, you know, we sit it, we sit down and we enjoy the performance and then we clap and we go home. But, but you guys have, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, which is what I'm very interested in hearing. Yeah. Very, very cool. So what's, uh, what's kind of on, on your schedule in music coming up these, these months, anything exciting? Uh, well, uh, there is uh, Parsifal coming back in our, in our schedule. In March, we will have, I think, four shows. Um, there usually do, uh, during the month of March, we have uh, we could call it the Ballenboy Festival. It's called, I think, uh, Berliner Musik Festival or something like that. But mm-hmm. it's basically just Ballenboy and uh, the people he wants to invite and to have around. And uh, it's always a huge happening musically and uh, you you see the who's who and usually it's conducting about i mean there are two set operas sometimes more we last year for example we had and he conduct conducted all of them tanhäuser parsifal um Wozzeck and lulu wow yeah he's, so, a, he's a busy guy yeah <laughs> last year was absolutely insane i mean uh, that poor man, and he, he isn't even that young anymore. I, I, we, I, we all try to ignore that fact. But uh, the <laughs> thing is that if, if you see like how, how he conducts, how he conducts Tristan by heart, and he knows everything and everyone and looks at everyone and uh, is in charge of everything. It's amazing. He's, yeah, that blows a, my mind. That... It's, it's absolutely. It's absolutely. I mean, I was talking lately to, to a pianist who was like, I didn't even know he has such a, a repertoire as a conductor. And I was like, well, you know, he's the conductor. I'm not sure if he's <laughs> anymore, but he was, he was the one with the most shows conducted in Bayreuth, for example. Really? So, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think now Tielemann might have uh, surpassed him. He was also the one with the most different uh, shows. So he conducted everything, I think, except uh, Hollander. 
Interesting. I read this. Yeah, I read this only once when I was there two years ago to see the again uh, two shows at the festival. So um, uh, no, actually, yeah, two or three I've seen. Anyway, uh, the thing is that um, when, when you have someone like him, right? So with with this vast knowledge, and then he comes and conducts something even again by heart, and he he looks at everyone, and uh, it's amazing. I mean, honestly, and this festival is a showcase of his of his uh, abilities, definitely. <laughs> I don't. I, I can't even. I can't even comprehend that. But but I think maybe maybe, and, and and maybe you would have more insight into this than me. When you have the the emotional connection to something like that because especially with operettes you know it's the whole story maybe yeah. that just makes it easier to remember you know i can't i can't remember i go to the grocery store and i can't remember what i have to buy <laughs> um but but for someone because i've seen you know you see it quite regularly someone who you know like like claudio bado who conducted he was kind of known for his Mahler. he does not need the score for Mahler, yeah. and and but it's still the the when you see the score, um, it's 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 an enormous amount of information. What was actually speaking of scores? I believe it was you who showed me a picture of was it the Boulez Cantata that you were uh, Visage Cantata Visage Nipsial exactly that was it. That was something like the the size of the chair that you I actually listened to that um, just just recently for the first time. But uh, uh, yeah, I can't imagine. Well, the thing is that this was also for last year's festival, if I remember right. And uh, the thing is that uh, I was, I was. Uh, this was the office of uh, taken in the office of the orchestra, like responsible people, like the managers and everything. And uh, they also in charge to uh, get the scores done uh, from which Bamboim will conduct and. The thing is that uh, the original score is already huge. I, I don't know even if it's maybe a special uh, format or something. I, I don't know. Uh, and is, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I I've really have no idea. The thing is that uh, when you open the score, the notes are so small. You can, you hardly can see them. It's really it's minuscule. It's like like really it's like for for a dollhouse. And is even it, though <laughs> pages, even though the page is full, it's filled from the top to the bottom with notes, and they are so small you can hardly see them. So and is that because of the size of the orchestra, the number of instruments that have to be that, on the? Is that what it is? Yeah. That's that's the thing. So I think he, I don't know, but it's like about maybe 50 lines or something. I, I don't know. I, I haven't counted them. It was just too shocking to see it like that. And the thing is that um, uh, when he's seen them, uh, he clearly said, I, I, I'm on one side, I don't have a music stand big enough. <laughs> right. Sure. And the thing is, it, it's you have to make a compromise. So on one side, you need to see every bar from the top to the bottom of the page at the same time. Right. On the other side, you have to actually see what notes are written in it. So for him, uh, there was to find a compromise between size, which you can see everything, but size, you can really see everything. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, the thing is then the score was, I think, a third bigger than the original with the one they made for him. My goodness. yeah, it was like, I don't know, over a meter long. <laughs> like, that's, honestly. 
uh, and still he has to see everything in the same moment. It's, it's amazing. And the, even the, if you have one meter, but one bar uh, was maybe three or f- max, I think three centimeters large. And in this three centimeters, oh you, had maybe, you had maybe 10 nodes written. So, yeah, I, ca- I can't imagine. How is this possible? I don't know. It's, well, it's, it's, not like a, it's not like a Wagner piece where you go, well, I don't need the score. I'll just, I'll just do it. You, to my understanding, there's only, you know, how many performances of a piece like that that a, a conductor is not necessarily, you know, it's not a common piece in the repertoire or something that he would be familiar with. And how, how many pages do you, do you flip for every, you know, 10, 15 seconds? How much music is it? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, when it comes to Wagner, for example, he uh, he clearly knows it also by heart because he's conducted so much of it. And, sure. So then it's not a it's not a question. Yeah. And the thing is also uh, because I, I mean, have you seen like even if you take the pocket version of any Wagner opera, <laughs> I've, I've seen it's two, three, what, ten, ten, twelve centimeters thick, something like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's about like I would say six to eight hundred grams of of music there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you can easily, if you throw it hard enough, you can you can Hurt make someone. Some, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so that's still music which has to go in your head, and which you, if you want to conduct by heart and ev- to know every note from beginning, yeah, like, nonstop. Yeah, because he is not the person to just hang from one moment he knows to another moment he knows, and let the th- the, the magic in between just happen, like because uh, you know he can still conduct a four four movement. Uh, Mark, that's not the that's not the issue. He knows every bar, every moment. He knows exactly what to do and how to conduct. You cannot do otherwise with an opera. You have singers to direct. It's not just conduct. You have to direct. Right. You have a choir, you have soloists in the orchestra to take care uh, of. You have maybe someone who messes up and you have to give an angry look. I mean, <laughs> this is keeping you very busy, right? And what, is, and what is the ring cycle comes to, what, 15 or 16 hours of music, something like that? For just for those four operas, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I, would, I would look very forward to, to being to enjoy any of that. As a matter of fact, actually, uh, the Berlin Philharmonic will be here in Taipei in just a few months. No way. What are you going to play? Uh, all Beethoven. Um, all Beethoven, okay. So they're doing, I want to say that they're doing, for whatever the tour is that they're doing, because they're going to be in America as well, that they're yeah. doing their, their Beethoven cycles. So they're, uh, they'll be here for two nights. Uh, they're playing the ninth, both nights. Wow. And then, and then the first night they're playing the first, and the next night they're playing the second. So um, I will go for this for the second night. The Vienna Philharmonic was here uh, a few months ago, and and they played under uh, Christoph Eschenbach, uh, and they played the Beethoven's first. And so I probably won't go see Berlin play that. Uh, but yeah, Ber- Berlin Berlin will come to us uh, with Sir Simon Rattle. So I'm looking forward to that. But um, yeah. I should uh, I should make my way to Berlin sometime, I guess. Oh, you should definitely. I mean, also uh, now actually Berlin is not so far; it's closer to you than you are now from Berlin because our orchestra is playing in the Santori Hall the entire motorcycle right now. So um, in, in right. Tokyo, yeah, they have they. It was announced to be the biggest uh, tour in the history of the orchestra, and I mean the orchestra. It's oh, it's like four hundred fifty years 
people. So uh, that's right. Consider that. That's and that's a big Japan. Yeah. Japan. I don't know. I don't know why Japan gets a lot of attention. Uh, the Vienna Philharmonic has like their summer residency thing there every year. Um, lots of lots of stuff going on in Japan. In fact, um, I was looking because I would love to. I would love to see Mahler Eight live, which is you know a big deal. Um, yeah. And there's like three performances of the eighth going on uh, just this year. So there's one at Suntory Hall. There's one with the NHK something, and but but nothing here. So you know, if, yeah. if I can't get to if I can't get to Berlin, maybe I can make it to Tokyo. We'll see. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been uh, delightful. I, I have to say, going into this, that that you and I hadn't talked a whole lot about what it is we were going to chat about. Um, it's true. Yeah, knew that we had knew that we would have plenty uh, to to talk about, and so I was very excited to uh, to listen and, and and chat some more. Maybe this is probably going to be. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to split this in half and make it two episodes. I could I could uh, do with that because now we're we're pushing. What is it? We're pushing an hour and a half at this point. Uh, wow. <laughs> but 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 so interesting. So much cool stuff to talk about. So. Um, Maybe in the future we'll get a chance to chat with you again. I'll um I'll put all of Victor's links and information for your you have you have Facebook and you have YouTube and you have your your all of all of those things. I'll uh, I'll put in and we will we will stay in touch. Maybe we'll hear from you again soon. Absolutely, it would be great. Thank you so much for your time. This is so cool that we can do this now on the internet it would be cooler if we could do it in person but but that that might not happen for a while so very cool thank you for having me so that is the end of uh, a two episode kind of series that we've had uh, from one big giant long conversation that i had with victor the harpist Uh, i'm sure that he will be back with us because he has uh, plenty of stories and experiences and that's kind of what i'm interested in uh, sharing and hearing uh, through this podcast is people's experiences and stories uh, with music, maybe about a specific piece or a specific audition or a learning process with getting to know or doing something. And so um, that's what I hope to share. Uh, we are in iTunes as Fugue for Thought. We are on Podbean as Fugue for Thought. Um, check the information for this episode for all of my links as well as all of Victor's. And stay tuned for more frequent updates than I had originally planned. Um, I think here at the beginning, I'm going to upload a few more episodes because I have recorded and prepared some that I'm really excited about. So look out for episodes more than once a month. There's another one coming up very soon that I'm very excited about. So stay tuned for that, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.